That's all. Everybody, welcome to the Voxology Podcast. I, I just have to say a couple of things as we get started. First of all, first of all, Tim Stafford, your beloved co-host with the co-most, is dressed in baby blues. I mean, like the, the baby blue UCLA colors right now. Yeah. Light blue hat, light blue sweatshirt. And the only way to really appreciate this is to go on YouTube. And right. guys, tell us what we can do to make YouTube interesting to you. Um, <laughs> because, you know... I mean, I'm sure watching the two of us talk is fascinating, but are there other things that would be great? We'd love to know. Like puppets. <laughs> Have some puppets stylized, one very large bald one and one, you know, bearded Jesus looking one. That would be fantastic. Yes, we're thinking animation. No, we're not. Um, so... So we're going to dive back into Revelation today, but before we do, we have some laments. Oh. So this is Mike's miserable musings and Tim's troubled times combined into both of us just fussing at things. So b please bear with me on this, but I open my my news, my Twitter news app, and I find out that the SBC Southern Baptist Convention has disfellowshipped several churches, including uh, Saddleback, for having women pastors. And this seems like it's the same SBC who uh, recently came under massive amounts of scrutiny for the way they've handled sexual abusers and sexual predators and the way that was hidden. And one of the excuses I believe that was made was, hey, we're kind of an independent network of churches. And so we don't really, you know, we don't exercise a lot of central control uh, over our, and, and I don't, I mean, if you're Southern Baptist or know more about this, please correct me or us on this. But it, it just, on the face of it, from like very far away, it appears that we're willing to disfellowship churches for having women pastors. And there was one disfellowship church for a poorly handling and abuse situation. So I want to acknowledge that too in this, this disfellowshipping. But um, it, again, I am absolutely fascinated by the relentless focus in making sure that women know their place as opposed to dealing ruthlessly um, with excising any form of toxic leadership um, or abuse of power or sexual predators or any of those sorts of things. Um, if, if, we had, if they had displayed the same clarity of purpose and a willingness to deal um, with churches that had misbehaved in the same way that they're willing to really go after uh, churches and women who are teaching or letting women teach, I, I, I simply, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I, we, Tim and I have better things to do than to just be upset at stuff. <laughs> well, Tim doesn't. Tim yeah, loves kind of being my hobby. upset at stuff. I have better things to do than being upset at stuff. So between Tim and I, when we're both upset at something, Yo. you know it's real. And I don't, I don't even have a word strong enough. I, again, if I'm, I, I may be misunderstanding this. Uh, and if so, I will repent in dust and ashes. 
Wow. But this, uh, yes, and ashes. <laughs> That's heavy. Um, in the, but in the articles I'm reading, um, there seems to be this massive double standard. And in when we're watching some of our friends, like Beth Allison Barr and Christian Dumay, Kristen Dumay and Beth Moore, get treated horribly by not only the Theo bros out there, but the SBC bros out there. Um, uh, it, it is, it is absolutely disgusting and it makes me so furious i don't even know what to do about it other than just to say i'm i'm so frustrated and may god deal with this issue um and and go after the root of it because it is it is so nasty and so unbiblical and so ungodly not just i mean if you hold the bible teaches that women are restricted um there i i know people who believe that i used to believe that so I don't have harsh judgments against that. I think the view is wrong, and I think the view can be and often is harmful, absolutely. But this like neglect of the weightier matters of the law for the straining uh, and making sure that women utterly know their place. I, I mean, Jesus spoke to this so clearly about what this is and represents. It's worse than neglect. They know about it and they're purposefully hiding it. Yeah. I or, mean that that's, yeah, that was one of the findings Yeah, on this huge report. And, and yes, so you're right. It, it, it's not just neglect. Um, they're active. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is active. And so, again, you know, the world does not need two middle-aged white guys, of which Tim just realized I was referring to him as the second one. <laughs> <laughs> he said yesterday, he's like, I've never thought of myself as middle-aged. I haven't. <laughs> until how you how old it. are you? Can I ask how old are you? Yeah, I'm 43. I'll be 44 in like a month. Okay. I mean, so I'm definitely to, middle, yeah, I'm definitely middle-aged, but I just, I, in my brain, I, I don't think of myself that way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't either. I, I think of myself as 12 <laughs> emotionally yeah, that's and fair. just, there, there's been a, a large body that's grown up around that 12 year old, but that's kind of it. You're like Shazam. So, I don't, yes. Except I don't have to say Shazam. I can just say, maybe you, you know, should though. Butter pecan ice cream. It's and a great then, thing bam. to shout. Sure. Um, and if shouting were appropriate, we would be shouting at this. Once you say ice cream, you can change it to Sherbert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the kale of ice cream, by the way. <laughs> um, so, so I don't know. I'm just, this is so dumb. And I'm not shocked when people look at this and just go, I am out. Well, it's such a larger net than that too, because it's, there's that happening. There's that pastor that was went viral for preaching about like that super hot woman that came up and um, like propositioned him, and you know, oh, as boy. part of his sermon. And so, you know, Beth Allison, sure, and then he pushed sure, back on the pushback on him. And then there was something oh. else yesterday too. It was like, but it's oh, all I got it. a series I got it. of men. I got it. I got it. So our friend. Dr. Lynn Kohick, who That's we right. had on very recently. That was the other thing. Um, what, uh, I think she resigned. I think so, too. Um, there, all, yesterday, uh, Northern Seminary is a seminary where uh, Dr. Gupta, uh, Dr. McKnight, Dr. Kohick, all, all sort of 
lead, yeah, lead and teach. And it, and it's known as a very, I mean, it's an egalitarian um, seminary on paper. Well, <laughs> and then and then and, and then we find out the Northern Seminary president. Um, uh, he is on leave for after allegations of bullying and retaliation against women. And um, when you read the report, it's like, well, um, this seems really damning. And 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 you're right, um, Tim. It's it all all comes as part of a package. Yeah, there's a theme of, here. <laughs> yeah, of just awfulness. And again, I mean, I, I'm not. Good Lord, I'm I'm certainly not um, somebody who is perfect uh, in every way, shape, or form. Um, but wow, to to deny that there is some sort of systemic issue <laughs> just seems so ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. I just wanted to mention Tim and I were both, you know furious we're fast and furious that's right and um, i was fasting and then i got furious that's how it works yeah i yeah and then i was fast x uh lax <laughs> and so too fast too furious <laughs> i you know can i just confess something that will like reiterate my middle age status yes the two movie franchises that I don't understand how they exist are Transformers and Fast and Furious. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't, I don't get it. And and and, and again, the world doesn't need our opinion on this. Yes, they do. But and here it well, is. And here it is. <laughs> Those are two movie franchises, Tim. What is there a movie, a singular movie that you love so much you would want it turned into a franchise? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is all guys, this is unscripted. I don't I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Do you have one? Okay. Um, I, I wouldn't mind wouldn't mind another gladiator. Oh man, I read a script that Nick Cave, you know the musician Nick Cave? Yes. yes. He wrote a sequel script years ago. Did you have you seen that? Yes, that's it's that's the one. Really good. Yes, that's the one. So I saw that script and went, Oh, that's that, that yeah, it was could, all in like the afterlife and oh, that's right. Really, really interesting. Yep. 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 Yeah. That'd be cool. <clears throat> it's that's hard to make a sequel to movies where the main character dies at the end. Spoiler. If you haven't seen gladiator <laughs> 22 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. All right, Timothy, anything you want to add to all that nonsense before we no, dive I into wish the... there was some way we could, I was thinking about, I was trying to, with my students, I was trying to think about like beliefs that are harmful to people, like beliefs that you hold that are harmful to other people, like ways in mm -hmm. which your beliefs subjugate other people and how to have conversations with family members that are constructive about growing away from those beliefs. That makes sense. Yeah. And this kind of thing, like seeing all of this male abuse across the board just this week like this isn't like they're this is all just in the last like five or six days yeah. um i just like it's i'm so tired of it i'm so and I, i'm saying this as a white male i'm well aware that i'm not affected um 
but watching Beth Allison Barr on Twitter just continually lament and fight back against all this stuff. Like I can't imagine how exhausted she is. Um, yeah. Like you mentioned, Lynn uh, Kohick and, you know, no one wants to have to leave their, I don't know. Yep. There's just, these women are just getting pummeled yep. over and over and over again. And they still keep like trying to be positive and be like in the mix of, making a better world for everybody. And it's yeah. frustrating. Yeah. So I wish there was a way to just unplug all these dudes, <laughs> put them on an Island, put them on like a love <laughs> cruise or something. Let them Lord of the good. Just go Lord of the flies. Yeah. Something. Yeah. It's really, it's just so gross. I'm, I'm, it's just disgusting. I'm sick of yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and, and both of us having daughters, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's yeah. And, and I, I'm, I'm, we have fiery daughters too. So when they're the adults, I'm, oh, I'm less worried about them. <laughs> well, that's very true. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, I could. Yeah. Hannah, Mazzy, Mazzy and Hannah are going to be BFFs when they're adults because they are the same person. We'll take on it's the world. It's really funny. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's your president and vice president ticket. There it is. 2060. No right there. Mess with them. All right, Tim. All right. Let's do some revelations, which is wrong. Wrong. One revelation. Apocalypsis is uh, singular. And so this is one revelation from Jesus. So like we um, talked about last time we were in the book, the whole, and this is true of most of the Bible, the, 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 the assumptions that you make going in determine a great deal the range of interpretive options you have when you approach it. Yeah. And this is true of everybody. We all, we all go to the Bible with certain uh, assumptions, and, and the best and most faithful Bible readings are just the ones that don't get rid of assumptions because we can't. Getting rid of an assumption kind of builds its own assumption and um but the 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 one the the most faithful bible bible readings are built on the constant interrogation of our assumptions that are brought to the text Mm. and so um you know people will say well listen you know how how come so many of us kind of bought the left behind view of revelation if it was so wrong and and who are you to just sit stand over it and say yeah all of this interpretation is incorrect um, and, and the answer, of course, is that the understanding of Revelation is the product of a way of reading the Bible and an understanding of what the Bible is and how it functions that leads you naturally to read the Bible in that way. And so to come up with a different understandings and faithful readings of the text, you have to start from different places. And this, of course, is where, man, so much of the really high-level scholarly debate resides is what is the Bible? How does it work? What's it for? Why did God give us this text? Or did he, or she, or it, or whoever, right? <laughs> and um, and so we've been spending a little time on the genre clues that Revelation gives to us about what kind of literature it is. Yeah. And then we're exploring other examples of that kind of literature to inform how it is that we understand Revelation. So the first point we made is that the, literally the first word in Greek is this word apocalypse, and it means to uncover or to reveal. 
Um, it's, it's when you suddenly see the true nature of something that you couldn't see before. It was, it was hidden or covered, but now it's revealed. It's when God pulls back kind of the curtain to show what's really going on. And not only is that a word that describes what the revelation is, it's an uncovering of Jesus of Nazareth. It's a revelation from, to, and about Jesus. But it also describes a form of ancient literature that we explored um, thoroughly um, last time uh, we were talking about this. So apocalyptic literature, you can go back and, uh, and listen a bit to the characteristics of that, and that will inform how we understand the numbers and the colors and the years and the dates. I mean, all of this, all of this informs how we get to those interpretations. So this, even though it's the least interesting, it is the most important. And that's why I think a lot of us suffer from bad uh, Bible readings or tolerate them anyway, because we're not paying attention to how the text comes to us. And, And this is true of me too. I mean, I was... I was a fan of late great planet earth and you know I was totally fascinated by that sort of thing in college and and everyone around me was fascinated by that sort of thing in college. What did we just so, read about that? What's that? Didn't we just read an article about is that the Hal Lindsey thing? Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. About that, yes. his like his kind of journey. His life. Yeah. It was really yeah, fascinating. Yeah yeah. Yeah, it really do you know, is. Do you know when apocalypse like for us, the term changed from being something about revealing to being like Armageddon or like the end of the world or this big, like, cause I wonder how much that has also our understanding of that word has, ch- I wonder if that has changed how we yeah. have a, you know what I mean? Cause we started to have an Armageddon kind of yeah. reading. Apocalyptic, of- yeah. Apocalypse became the end of time. Whereas apocalypse was an unveiling or a revealing. Hmm. Yep, totally. I don't know when that changed. I mean, I would imagine um, the 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 less uh, the Western Church became deeply familiar with the Old Testament, the the more likely we are to read the New Testament poorly. <laughs> and so, um, you know, and we have very passionate public teachers today who say, "Yeah, the Old Testament should be unhitched from mm. the New Testament," and and in a sense, that's true. Um, you know, if you want to learn the story of Jesus, you don't start in Leviticus. Um, although, I mean, actually that, that's a great place to start, but, but you know what I mean? Like, and he makes some, he makes some good points. All that is to say that I feel the need to sort of justify why it is that we're taking a slow approach into this. So here's the, here are the first three verses and we get two genre clues. All right, in these three verses about what kind of revelation we're talking about. So verse one, the revelation, not plural, the revelation from Jesus Christ. There's a big debate about, is it from Jesus or about Jesus? And, and both turn out to be true, which God gave Jesus to show his servants what must soon take place. Jesus made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So the the order of operations here for my math friends is that um, the revelation was given to Jesus who gave it to an angel who gave it to John. That's the idea. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is 
the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is a very uh, familiar refrain to Old Testament prophetic literature uh, that we're going to see in just a second. This is like, this is how you introduce prophets and prophetic literature. Blessed, there are seven times the reader or hearer is blessed in this book, and seven is going to be a huge number for us. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Mm-hmm. Now, there are two time references in the first three verses. So we're going to have a whole conversation next episode about these two references. Um, what must soon take place in verse one and because the time is near in verse three, because what we want to do with those time references is called calendarizing. We want to start, we want to start figuring and looking at our, the historical calendar to figure out what, when, when we're talking about this, but there is buried here an assumption that the original audience who would have heard this read would have understood it because they're blessed if they take it to heart. Yeah. So if this is only something that can be understood in the 21st century or in the 20th century, we're already starting from the wrong place. Now, because John identifies this as a word of prophecy, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. We, and this is getting to the point to, to what you're, you know, you were bringing up with the word right. apocalypse. So one of the very, um, uh, significant distortions of the whole dispensational approach, at least as it used to be, I don't know how it is these days, but, but it was the distortion of what, what prophecy meant and was in the old Testament. The prophetic literature was not primarily predicting the future. The, the primary focus of prophetic literature in the old Testament is the fidelity of God's covenant people. And the warnings come like this. If you don't clean your room, when your dad gets home or your mom gets home, you're going to be in trouble. Right. That's not a predictive prophecy, right? That's the warning of consequences. Right. Correct? Yes. And so much of prophetic literature comes this way. If you don't, then I will. Right. Right? So the goal of prophetic literature in the Old Testament was either A, to comfort because God's got this and you don't have to make military alliances with other nations, or to warn, hey, if you make military allegiances with other countries, God will ensure that those are the countries that discipline you. But the goal was never the the distant, distant future. There There are some places where... Things are referenced in the future, but only to call to the current generation to present fidelity. Right. Right. It never, n- prophetic literature in the Old Testament never invites a curiosity about what's going to happen in the future. Now, Daniel is an exception to that because Daniel starts talking about weeks of years and 70 weeks of years and let's count down and we're going to spend loads of time in Daniel because Revelation uh, borrows from Daniel heavily. But even in those instances, the point is the current fidelity of God's people, always. It's not about predicting the future. So John sees himself as a prophet and sees his letter as a prophecy standing in the Old Testament tradition on five occasions. 
Revelation explicitly calls itself a work of prophecy. So chapter 7, blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy, not chapter 7, verse 7. Verse 10, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the scroll because the time is near. Verse, um, oh, and these are from different chapters, by the way. So I'm sorry, I shouldn't be giving you verse numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Thirdly, come, let the one who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes the, oh, okay, I'm such an idiot. That was the second part of the verse I just read. So the first instance is the one we just read in chapter one. (laughs) Then look, I'm coming soon. This is in chapter 22. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy in chapter 22, verse 10, do not seal up the words of this prophecy. In uh, chapter 22, verse 18, if anyone hears uh, the words of this prophecy and adds anything to them, God will add to the person, to, you know, the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes away the, the scroll uh, from the scroll of this prophecy, God will take away that person from the tree of life. How can you unhitch the Old Testament and then have any way of understanding a book like this? Well, the, the, the man who wrote a book on this and, and said this in a very popular sermon was saying that our faith is not in a book. Our faith is in an event. And um, so much of the, the, the trouble that Christians have with the Bible is found in the Old Testament. And, um, and I think his argument was a little more sophisticated than that. But the counter is what we're exploring. How totally. in the world do you make any sense of the New Testament well, then you without look at a how, thorough immersion? Yeah, and then you and look the, at oh, how yeah. this has been used as a weapon in the improper ways, in an improper totally. understanding or whatever. So it's like everything yep. you just said about understanding prophecy, you'd have to have Old yep. Testament, like, I don't know. It's just... Yeah, exactly. So John, Revelation refers to itself as a prophecy five times. Um. And Revelation characterizes the work of John, the author, as a prophet four times. So this isn't this isn't buried, you know, right. in here. Like yeah. it's it's kind of shouting, "Hey, this is a work of prophecy with apocalyptic elements." Fantastic. Um, and so, just to make a couple of points we've already made, but I just I need to say them again. Prophecy primarily is not prediction, and notice. When we introduced the different ways that Revelation is understood, they were all along the lines of prediction. So uh, futurists see the prophecies of Revelation as predictions for the future. Preterists see some of the prophecies as prophecies in the past. Um, And um, idealists or historicists see some of the prophecies kind of unfolding over the course of church history, either in cycles or very slowly in a linear fashion. But they all deal with, and they're all differentiated by how do you see the predictions? Yeah. So, so even in delineating the different approaches to revelations, revelation, the idea that um, the predictive part is the most important part is already embedded in the way that we differentiate between how we're to understand it, which again, to my way of thinking, already starts off on the wrong foot. Right. Right? Because, uh, and, and go ahead and read. I mean, jump into Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Um, there, there are so many prophetic, prophetic man, prophetic, <laughs> prophetic elements. That's where I was going. 
prophetic elements that are brought forward into Revelation from those great works. And one of the reasons why Revelation is so hard to understand, um, there are something like 287, I think, direct um, quotations or um, use of images that directly borrow from the Old Testament, like 400 allusions that aren't totally explicit, but you can find Old Testament parallels. I mean, it's just, it's saturated with Old Testament. And that, and because we don't know Old Testament, we look at Revelation and go, what the heck are they doing and talking about here? Yeah, grasshoppers. Yeah. So, yeah, helicopters. Apache helicopters. <laughs> so, first of all, prophecy is not primarily prediction. It is a call to faithfulness. And I have loads. I mean, I have nine pages of notes on just what biblical prophecy turns out to be. <coughs> Pardon me. So the idea uh, is that the the visions that are given in biblical prophecy are not to be understood as uh, calendars for the future, mm. but are rather to be understood as, <coughs> man, sorry, either warnings or comfort that, and, and there were times, um, like in the book of Acts, there's a guy that said, yeah, there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem. And he prophesies. And that's called prophecy. But, but in the New Testament, uh, prophecy is also called what people would do when they would just stand up and read a psalm or read a hymn or share something they felt like God was saying to them, right? right. He calls all of those prophecies too. So that word prophecy is very elastic, but yeah. it rarely, if ever, refers to predictive calendar, you know, uh, future-looking sort of Nostradamus stuff. So if it is Old Testament prophecy or in that lane, then the book is designed to bring comfort and warning for the people of that generation. And, and that's what we're going to see. I mean, this is written to that generation, and this right. is going to be the biggest point. Yeah. That uh, as a prophecy and as an apocalypse, the, the, the images, we don't rummage around the 20th or 21st century to look for parallels to the images. We look to our Old Testament and we look to Roman imperial propaganda in the first century yeah. for parallels. And when we start to do that, what we begin to see is Revelation isn't this fearsome, horrific book. But rather, it's designed, as we've said before, to bring comfort to those who are um, at odds with the status quo and to bring warning to those who feel quite at home in yeah. the status quo. And that's the point of the book. Yeah. So if it's not doing that today, then we're misreading it. So um, so the, the first two genre clues come in the first three verses. Yeah. Right? It's an apocalypse. And it is a prophecy. Then, and this is the most surprising one. And I, I, years ago, I read somebody who was arguing this and, and went, oh my goodness, this is true. And it just opens up so many things. And there's loads of scholarship, obviously, behind this. But that... Here's what I found. Ah, <laughs> my Apple Watch keeps chirping at me. Here's what I found. That, oh, no, that's what she said. Um, here's what I found. Here's what I found, though, <laughs> is um, that revelation comes 
as a pastoral letter. And so when we read Philippians or read Galatians, there is a greeting, right. you know, Paul, comma, to the holy ones at Philippi, grace and peace to you. And then some sort of doxology. You know, right. I remember you all the time in my prayers as I think about X, Y, and Z. Well, as you read Revelation, here's verse four, John, comma, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, colon, Grace and peace to you. Right. And you're like, hold on a second. And, and it's not just here. We'll note it all throughout the rest of the letter that this is to be understood also as an epistle. Um, and so the, the number one rule when you're looking at Philippians or Galatians or the letters, first and second Peter, the number one rule for pastoral letters is that they would have been intelligible to the original audience. Yeah. Because they're pastoral letters. Right. So it's apocalypse, so it uses all sorts of literary conventions and symbolism. It's a prophecy, which means its orientation is encouraging the current generation to faithfulness. But all of that comes in the form of a pastoral letter. Yeah. It ends, it ends with... Um, in Revelation 22, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Just the way Paul ends some of his letters. Yeah. So, so it's just fascinating grace and peace to you from him who was and is, and is to come. And that's actually something that was said of Zeus which is super interesting. Oh, that is interesting. Yes, Zeus Zeus was used was referred to we have inscriptions where that that specific language was applied to Zeus. So, uh, grace and peace from him who is who was who is to come and from the seven spirits before the throne. We'll talk about the seven spirits later when we get into the seven. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Then he says a couple of verses later on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. I heard behind me like a loud voice. Um, oh no, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll, what you see and send it to seven churches. And these were literal flesh and blood churches. And, um, and it's fascinating when you look at what the letters say to the churches or these messages to the churches and what the background is of the cities and the, uh, the politics of the day, like, this roots revelation in flesh and blood. Now, it's also seven churches, which is a hugely symbolic number. And we know it's symbolic because it's an apocalypse. All the numbers are symbolic in apocalypses. All of them. So we're going to meet seven spirits, seven blessings. Uh, we're going to meet um, uh, uh, seven churches. John's just having fun. He's just like, Seven hey. bowls, seven trumpets, seven seals. And we're going to play with the number seven a bunch. Um, and so like three and a half is half of seven. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to use the number a thousand, um, which is a play on the number 10, which is um, order. So a thousand is 10 times 10 times 10. You're going to get the 144,000, which is a bunch of 12s and sevens. And I mean, it's it's or 12s and 12s. Um, from the 12 tribes. I mean, it's, it's like, 
And, and to sit there and say, like I've had Jehovah Witnesses tell me they're, they're working to evangelize people so that they might be one of the 144,000 people. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how people got confused by this book. <laughs> so, so it's important to note that the book does not start John to the churches in the 21st century America. Yes. And, and to Kirk Cameron. Blessings and... Well, maybe to Nick Cage. It's so funny. I have nine pages of notes, and I, the last thing I want to do is like read them and go over them. So the biggest point we need to make today, uh, and it's really simple, is um, the, the idea that Revelation would have been understood by its original audience. Yeah. And if we carry that assumption in to the rest of the book, right. then we will make differing um, interpretive decisions from those, you know, who assume that, that yes, maybe it would have made sense, but these, this was really a code that you need, you know, the 20th century to kind of figure out. You need Tom Hanks to do it. Well, yeah, he is the Da Vinci guy. Absolutely. Nick Cage, Kirk Cameron. I mean, that's a great crew to kind of figure out the apocalypse. Dream if team. I were going to be left behind, Nick Cage is someone I would want to be left behind with. That's right. Let's just throw that out there. So, so the biggest thing um, is the book itself tells us how to understand the book itself. Yeah. And so you don't have to sit when people say, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but how do you know you're right when there are all these different interpretations? I don't. But Revelation tells us what it is. And that's yeah. clear to anyone yeah. paying attention. And the conventions that go with the genre clues are ways in which we can then and 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 there are still things even with all of the work we're doing here we'll get to some stuff in revelation and be like i we have no idea what this means yeah but what we're not going to do is look for some contemporary fulfillment of this instead we're just going to say i don't know what this means the original audience must have known what it means and we've lost whatever referent that was great but we're not going to be troubled by that Right, because yeah. as I as I joke I joke around a lot, if I sent you an email that talked about right, you know, the great Kobe Bryant, known as the Black Mamba, and his Lakers right. team was on fire in the early two thousands, like two thousand years. Celtics. They yes, like, and, you be, and, and and somebody <laughs> yeah, somebody reads that two thousand years from now, and they go, what? Why is he celebrating how they killed everybody in Boston? Yes, the and, Snake Man. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so it's one of those, you know, it's one things of those were things. wild in the 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> they were just murdering each other. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, uh, that's kind of the big point. We don't need to, we don't need to blow it into nine pages of notes for that. I'll well, it is interesting those. that like the idea of being a disciple and kind of being a student and, mm-hmm. um, you know, what you understand of a student that they are better when they are involved in asking questions and studying and deciphering and, and not just sitting there and accepting information without any work. Yeah. So things like this just can always show me how much more agency we have in our faith. Mm. Cause it's like, we like, this is important to understand this. And the book, like you just said, is giving you the clues you need to approach it correctly, but you got to do a little bit of work. Like right. there's a little bit of ownership on your part in this. And 
I think that's a kind of a great thing because it shows that God is invested in partnership. Yeah. Participation, which I think is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely, man. I do too. I'm very encouraged by that. Um, and, and it would make sense that, that you just don't, you just don't pick up an ancient book and go, Oh, I, I got this, you know, yeah, we and it really, Shakespeare. <laughs> they, we don't, I mean, right. Yeah. Well, the fact that as prophetic books that they are talking about, like, you know, warning about something that's going on, like, Hey, like the, the metaphor that you use with the clean your room was a great one. So it, it's already saying like, Hey, you have like, the, it's compelling the reader to something yeah. and, and that, and what it's compelling them to is an actionable item. And it's not a, um, cause the way that we have kind of read it in the past is it's like, Hey, there's, there's a good and evil and you need to be on the good side and then point fingers at the evil side. Or, you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. less participatory and more identifying like an identity yeah. thing. Yeah. But by the very nature of what the prophetic books are, it's actually, it is act asking you to do something. Yes. So it's just, I don't know. I just think that's it's right. very interesting. Right. It's all that's actionable right. in every different right. way. Yep. That's exactly right. And then that's as disciples, exactly right. we have to figure out, Hey, this wasn't written to me. Mm -hmm. So, well, so, so yeah, there's a difference between having it written to me or having written it for me. Right. Right. So I think revelation has enduring significance. Totally. Right. So I can say it was written for me too. Right. For the church. But you have to do that work at first. Only after. Right. You recognize it was written to someone else. Yeah. And we're eavesdropping a bit. And, you know, the big question you've always brought up whenever we get in these conversations, is, well, why did God, you know, do it that way? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's the, it's what we've called the scandal of historical particularity that yeah. God chose a language, a moment in time, a people to reveal God's self in and through. And that yeah. means, um, that to best understand and, that, and not that it's perfect. It's just, which are, which are the most more faithful postures in approaching the text? Is it the demand that the text conform to modern understandings of science and psychology and ethics, or is it the assumption that the, the Bible spoke to the people at its time? And the best way to understand what it is saying now is to understand what it also said then. Yeah. And to do it in that order. Yeah. So <laughs> not the other way. Yeah. I mean, it, it turns out to be a really, really important thing. So I, we don't have to make, you know, any more points. We can let this one be a, a short one. We are recording this the day before our Patreon appreciation dinner in socal so we're tim's flying out in a couple of hours this is true are you wear, and are you wearing the baby blues today no this is i just woke up and put a sweatshirt on oh <laughs> uh, okay all right so you're gonna what, what dress clothes are you bringing dress clothes yeah I'm for you dress fantastic thank you so brothers and sisters hope this is helpful keep keep the feedback coming we're um we're so blessed um, and grateful to be a part of a community that is more of a conversation than we would have ever expected. So love to know your thoughts. Appreciate you guys very much. Till next time. In the future. Live long and prosper. The force will be with you always. 
Always. I, Jesus says, I will never leave you and forsake you. And those are all good ones. Yeah. All right. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology Podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.